Hello and welcome to the Bloody Bits Horror Show. I am your host, Eddie the Axe Jefferson. And joining me this week, we have a very special guest, Juliet Miranda of the Unwritable Rant Podcast. Juliet, how are you doing today? Hey, I am doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, actually. It's a, a lovely Sunday afternoon here in uh, Southern California. I've got the smoker going, cooking up a brisket and... Just having a nice day. And uh, Juliet, thank you again here for joining us. Uh, we So what I did was I floated the question out to, to a lot of people. Um, if there's anything in the world of horror that they wanted to discuss. And you came back at me with a, uh, an interesting response. And that is the world of the horror hosts. Yeah, you know, I there's been a resurgence in it over the past couple of years, and it's something that I think the horror community really needed. So it just seemed like something different to talk about, and it's something that I have a huge passion for anyway. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be talking today. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's a great subject, and I'm glad that you brought it up. So what is your history, first of all, in uh, getting into any, anything horror or scary movies? When, when <laughs> did you start getting into that? Oh, gosh, I think about birth or so. My dad <laughs> is just a huge horror movie fan. He always has been. And you know, I remember being four years old and watching The Exorcist with them. I mean, it's something that just has been a part of my life. My mother is a practicing witch. So the occult and horror and just, you know, the unusual is something that I've always enjoyed. Oh, interesting. Four years old for The Exorcist. That's a, <laughs> that's a bit young. Um, it is, yeah. I, I would, um, I, you know, I met Linda Blair a few years ago and I told oh, really? her that she ruined my childhood. <laughs> and unfortunately, she didn't find it as funny or comforting as I did. But oh, <laughs> <laughs> So... Okay, so, so I've asked a couple of our guests this question. Um, I, I personally, I have a nine-year-old daughter, and, and I mean, I host a horror podcast, you know, so it's all over the house. We have stuffed like Cthulhu's and all, all kinds of things like that. But this year is particularly troubling because of the pandemic. Uh, Halloween is kind of out of the question as far as trick-or-treating and going out and those sorts of things in, in this larger area that I live in. So we were contemplating uh, staying home, maybe uh, firing up the fire pit out back, making some s'mores or something, and watching a, an age-appropriate horror movie for a nine-year-old. If, if, if you had a suggestion for something that would be, you think, age-appropriate maybe for a nine-year-old uh, to, to start in, in the world of horror. And I'm not particularly worried about the, the gore aspect uh, as much as maybe things like brutality or, or sexuality. What, sure. what, what, what kind of a thing might you suggest? Well, that's a hard one for me to answer because I have a very elastic sense of what is right and wrong. Okay. Um, but just kind of racking my brain for some, you know, lighter horror movies. I think the Monster Club, or not the Monster Club, the Monster Squad oh, is a yes. good one. Uh, that's about kids who kind of uh, team together and overthrow a bunch of classic 
monster figures like Dracula and the Mummy. Uh, and it, it's just, it's a fun watch. But if you wanted to try maybe like Hocus Pocus, that's a mm-hmm. perennial favorite. And I think maybe if you wanted to amp it up a little bit, uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Uh, it's based on mm. that wonderful book with all those short stories. And it's, it's a little bit more intense, but it's still very you know, manageable. Uh, won't keep her up too late at night. So, <laughs> you know, a couple ideas for you. Very cool. You see, I got my start uh, in horror, actually, in the printed press. First of all, reading books. Uh, but, but like you said, the, the scary stories books, which were kind of uh, um, ubiquitous, especially with the illustrations. Oh, my Lord. Oh, <laughs> I know. I love those. I, you know, and I, for the life of me, wish I could find my original copy of that book. But since moving here to New Orleans, I've lost a lot of things that were kind of special. And that was one of the ones I missed the most. Yeah, it's difficult with moves, man, because everything ends up in a box, and every box looks the same. I know, <laughs> and then they're just everywhere, and now we have like 17 of them sitting in the attic, and I just, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm over boxes. Mm, I get it, man, I get it. We, we just moved here about a year ago, and we still have things, we're like, where, where is that? Exactly, and, you know, and then uh, you go through that purging process where you throw everything away anyway, so... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so everything's kind of in a limbo of, do we still have it? Do we need to go buy a new one? Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, fun. So how's the move to New Orleans been? You enjoying it there? It is spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guy and I have just been coming in and out of New Orleans for the past 12 years. We love it here so very much. And the timing was just right. Now, I'll admit moving during a pandemic is a little bit of a yeah. challenge. Yeah. Uh, you know, finding a moving company was more difficult than we anticipated but once we got out here to new orleans it's been phenomenal uh you know we live right in french quarter and it being more quiet here we're able to kind of get to know our neighbors a little little bit better and you know see things and get to know the area more intimately than we could if it was overrun with tourists yeah yeah that wow that's that is an it's such an interesting time to to think of it that way. Yeah, that that's amazing. And especially like living in the French Quarter. Like oh, that, that's... oh, the history here is tremendous. In fact, <laughs> one of my favorite things to do, our, our favorite restaurant is this place called Muriel's. And it's in Jackson Square. It's a very, very old building. And mm-hmm. it's haunted, of course, because everything here is. And what they do there is leave out an offering for their ghost every day. They leave it a little bit of bread, a little bit of wine every day to keep hmm. it satisfied. But uh, what we do is we like to go on the balcony. And when we're up there, I overhear all of the ghost tours that come through. And oh. I heard the most fantastic stat from this tour guide not too long ago. And I, I don't know if it's true. Quite honestly, I doubt that it is. But she said that on average, three people have died within every building within the French Quarter. Wow. Wow. That's <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's 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 an incredible stat. And again, mm. you know, who knows how true it is, but it just kind of, you know, gives you the attitude of this city has so much more history than I'll ever know. Oh yeah. So I, I guess you're going to have to leave out a little like a uh, uh, two fingers of bourbon every night for, <laughs> for any passing spirits just to make sure they're okay. <laughs> You know, it's funny, everybody asks us if our home is haunted, and I have to say, I mean, 
who knows, but I personally don't believe it is. Everybody mm -hmm. who comes in says it has the, the most welcoming vibe they've ever felt. And it used to be a school for fencing. So if anybody would pre appreciate a little bit of bourbon, I think it might be some fencers from the 1800s. Ooh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> uh, so, so my wife and I spent a little time down in New Orleans. We, we took a uh, road trip when we were uh, uh, first getting together across the country. And, and we spent some time over there. And I remember one of the things we did is we stopped in what's probably a fairly touristy area. But there was a voodoo shop that we stopped into. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we were looking like, oh, we got to get some great souvenir to remember this, this uh, trip with. And, and they have some, you know, very, very excellent high hand-carved painted masks there. Oh, sure. So, yeah. So my wife found one that she really, really loved. And, and she purchased it. And we brought it home and put it up in our house in, in California. And... Uh, Oh, that's beautiful. I love oh, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love it. And so, so we get it here. And, and most of her life, her doctors had told her, well, she can't, uh, she, she wouldn't be able to have children. Uh, but then again, you know, w within a couple of months, uh, turns out she ends up pregnant. Was it a fertility mask? Yes, it was. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I, that's a fantastic story, by the way. I love mm -hmm. it. And there's so many like that. One of the yes. earliest times David and I came here, we went to one of the cemeteries, the beautiful above ground cemeteries. Oh, and yes. A lot of the voodoo priests and priestesses, priestesses are buried in mm -hmm. them and there's sort of a ritual that you do if you want to court their favor you put three x's on the tomb and then you leave a little bit of an offering um so we just found it wasn't marie laveau she is in that cemetery but it wasn't her i forget right. which voodoo priest it was but we left a little offering outside the tomb and that night we went to the casino and we won big like wow. big like not just you know here's you know 200 bucks i mean we we played really really well and won and it was i don't know i huh. felt like it was just new orleans saying you know come back soon yeah yeah it was definitely rolling out the welcome mat for yeah. you wow. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful we have to get back there whenever i get a chance oh so. yeah you guys have to come here we will show you mm. all the best sites of new orleans mm-hmm mm-hmm so speaking on horror and speaking on horror hosts, I would say my introduction, though, to the uh, the moving picture version of horror would have been the uh, classic tales from the crypt. Oh, sure. On HBO. Yeah. And every every episode of it, you add the intro and the outro by none other than the uh, hilarious Crypt Keeper, uh, voiced <laughs> by John Kaser and orchestrated by, oh, man, I think there was four to five uh, puppeteers that operated that that puppet. Just incredible. So that that's where I kind of got my start, uh, looking into to horror and, and with horror hosts. And of course, I've gone back to the past stuff, to your Zachary, mm -hmm. you know, running it on the East Coast. And well, uh, that led over to being introduced to Elvira, which I appreciated very much. Sure, why uh, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate her. She is just smoking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Doesn't live too far from here, by the way. Oh, that's right. That's right. You yeah. are in that area. Yeah, I'm in Ventura oh. County, and she's out in Ojai. So right. not, not too far away. So you have a little bit more of an intimate history, though, with the world of horror hosts. 
I uh, than do. myself. Yeah. Um, and like I said, my dad had me watching horror movies when I was a kid, and one of my favorite things to do with him was watch the Son of Spenguli show. It was mm. a local horror host, you know, Rich mm -hmm. Coe Spenguli, and he would host all these old monster movies, you know, the original Dracula, all the Hammer movies. Uh, and it was just a thing my dad and I did. It was kind of like our time to bond and hang out. And uh, it meant so much to me that when I was in college, I went and scored an internship working for Rich Coe's on the Spenguli show. Wow. So what, what were you, what were like, what was your day to day doing that? That, that sounds oh. interesting. <laughs> was the greatest internship ever. I, I truly, I mean, you, you hear stories about, you know, interns saying, oh, you know, I worked my ass off. I had to make coffee all the time. I went on food mm -hmm. runs. One of the reasons why I particularly chose this internship, it was with WCIU-TV, was because I knew I'd be able to get hands-on as much as I could, you know, as being a college student and not a union member. Yeah. And with, uh, you know, Svengoolie being there, it was just an added bonus. So, you know, on a day-to-day, -day, I did a lot of, um, you know, cataloging of videos, pulling clips for shows, uh, you know, contributing to writing process. But my favorite part was always working with Rich Coe's. You know, I got to help build his set every week. Oh, I got wow. to be a floor manager for him from time to time. And the best part of it all, of course, was getting to throw rubber chickens at him. <laughs> <laughs> That's a running gag on his show. Every time yeah. he tells some schlocky joke, of course, you throw rubber chickens at him. And that was my job. I had to corral the rubber chickens and then, you know, start hurling them at his head. And he was, I mean, he was, he's such a funny guy in person. And, uh, you know, every time, you know, I have the chickens in my arm, he'd be like, just don't aim for my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah, I could imagine that. That'd be that'd be a hell of an injury to try to explain. <laughs> you're like trying to talk to your insurance provider. You're like, look, I. I yeah, I, yeah. I, I well, try flying. adding rubber chickens to your resume. You know, that's a little tricky that, too. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> but man, it sounds like everything. Like you're talking a little set design. You're talking a little production. That's a All that's a it. hell of an internship. Yeah, wow. it really was. I was so thrilled to be given that opportunity. Although I'll tell you up front, I. I was a little full of myself. Mm. <laughs> That's know? good. I went in thinking, I got this, man. I'm going to nail it. And when they offered me the opportunity to be, opportunity to be the floor manager, I'm thinking, fuck yeah, you know, I'm going to manage the hell out of the floor. And I wound up giving Rich so many weird hand gestures and signals. Like, like I'm thinking I'm directing the show there from the floor when all I was supposed mm. to do was cue him to start. You know, I'm like going, stretch it out, you know, and finally he stops and he's like, is there an airplane in here I don't know about? <laughs> it's like, look, he's, you need to dial it back. Yeah, he's like, it's cool. He's like, here's what you need to do. And then they, they talk me through it and I kind of simmered down a little bit and, you know, learned how to work with the crew, which I think was invaluable. You know, I mean, once I graduated college and went, you know, to work in real TV production, I had a better idea of how to handle a crew and how to handle myself with them. Yeah. Wow. That, that's such an interest. That's such a fascinating experience. Like, and then just the selections of movies. Uh, how, how is that even 
done? I mean, were you a part of that process? Yeah, in I mean, any way, a or? little bit. Um, it's not all entirely up to him. It has a lot to do with what the TV um, station can get the rights to broadcast. Right. So a, a lot of the movies that he was running were public domain. Okay. So, I mean, that, you know, makes it a lot easier. And with that, yeah, you know, it's just yeah. him going through the archives and, you know, trying to figure out what he's shown recently and what people want to hear or see. So he takes into consideration things like viewer requests. Um, mostly, though, what I got to do, which was really fun, was watch the movies and then pull clips for him to do comedy bits about. Mm, okay, okay. So that's... So that, that's where you get kind of the the uh, in the middle of it or, or taking you into or out of the commercial breaks. There's a little bit of sort of like a comedy sketch where it's yeah. thematic. Well, yeah, okay. That's the, the grand tradition of horror hosting, really, is the fact that you're not just showing a movie, but you're making it an experience for everybody. You know, you're, you're involving them in the jokes. You're giving them a little bit of history about the movie and the directors, but you're making it really you know, ingestible and fun. And I think that's what today is resonating so much with, uh, you know, horror movie fans is that now it's, it's a watching experience. Yeah, I mean, this is something I've, I've mentioned in, in a few other episodes of the podcast, and it's so true that horror is really best as a shared experience. And if you're just sitting at home watching it, you know, up late at night, alone, watching it, you want to kind of have somebody there with you. And if that can't be, you know, somebody in, in your real life who's hanging out with you, then, then of course, having somebody to usher you into it and, and kind of like laugh at some of the things that maybe aren't intentionally funny, but are definitely <laughs> there. That's, that's such a great experience. It, it makes it so much better. And I think it's a comfort, too, because especially these days, uh, if you look at, and somebody that I wanted to talk about also is the host, Joe Bob Briggs. Oh, we're for, getting him, don't yeah, worry. <laughs> for me, I mean, it kind of exposed you to movies that you knew you enjoyed, but nobody else did. You know, none of my friends liked horror movies. They all thought I was nuts. But, mm. you know, on Saturday night, I could stay up late watching Monster Vision or, you know, Joe Bob Goes to the Drive-In. And I felt like, oh my gosh, you know, here's somebody who gets it. You know, they, they get me. They know why I like this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that, and that's a great point. So we'll take it out of the, the kind of the classic horror hosts, like we were talking about a little bit briefly, your Zacherly's, your Elvira. And we get to, uh, I think it was on TNT Monster Vision with Joe Bob Briggs, was what, where I first started watching him. And you're absolutely right, because it was... Uh, effectively, Turner had this entire library of a bunch of uh, uh, lower Crap class. Movies. <laughs> uh, we'll call them B movies. <laughs> they're, they're differently uh, appreciable. We'll call it. Sure. They're an acquired and, taste. Yeah. So you'd be watching like the stuff with mm -hmm. Joe Bob Briggs, and and what I loved about it, and what actually kind of inspired me to do the show that I do, is. In the middle of it, there would be some some laughs that are thrown in there. But more importantly, there'd be some interesting facts about maybe the behind the scenes of it, or even potentially interviewing people who were involved in the production of it. Absolutely, yeah. I, and I think that's, you know, that's the writer in me that loves that stuff. I love, you know, the deep dive knowledge that these, you know, people have been able to share, especially Joe Bob Briggs, you know, because you learn about the actors, you learn about the directors, and you know, all of the stuff that goes into making these movies. It's fascinating. 
Yeah, the behind-the-scenes part of it, uh, the, the stuff that you don't see, because, I mean, all of Hollywood is magic. It's all an illusion. So I, I, I get that some people could make the argument that maybe you know piercing that veil kind of ruins the illusion a little, but I don't think so. Like, I, I think you, you begin to then appreciate it on a, a, a whole separate level that's a little deeper. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel that way about anything, not just movies. You know, it's like listening to music. I want to know who the guys in the band are. I want to know what their influences are. I want to know what gear they play. Uh, and the same goes for food, too. You know, I, I, I'm a cook, too, so I like to mm. know what goes into my recipes. It just makes it an, a, a complete experience. Yeah, that's that's my obsessiveness. Like if I like when we were in New Orleans, we went to this uh, really small place called the Joint. That, that uh, I don't know if they're still open or not, but they made incredible Cherise sausage. And whenever I eat something that to me is incredible, the the first thing I'm like is like, okay, I need to understand how this functions, how this works. I need to go home. I need to recreate it because one day the place that makes it won't be here, and I want it. <laughs> so that's that exactly. obsessiveness. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand. So you brought up Joe Bob Riggs, and uh, so incredible. You got the opportunity to interview him. I did. Um, mm -hmm. How did that come about? <laughs> it, was, it was a dream come true, truly. No, it, you know, it, it's the weirdest thing. I would say maybe five years ago, out of nowhere, Joe Bob Briggs starts following me on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I don't know how he found me. He was probably just, you know, building his fan base on Twitter, whatever. But... Every so often, like, I'd like something of his, he'd like something of mine. And when the first version of The Last Drive-In was announced for Shudder, yes. it was a 24-hour marathon, uh, I was like, Joe Bob brings us back. This is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In addition to being the host of Monster Vision back in the 90s and Joe Bob goes to the drive-in in the 80s, what I knew him as, uh, in addition to that, was a writer you know, for mm -hmm. all of his uh, work in the papers, reviewing drive-in movies, and then also uh, a lot of his narrative essays that he did for UPI. Um, so I was just excited to see him coming back. And when I saw how incredible the reception was to The Last Drive-In, I reached out to him and I said, you know, uh, you know I've been a fan for a long time. Uh, you're going to be in Milwaukee doing a film festival. I'd love to have you on my show. And he got back to me and he said, I would love that. So, so great. <laughs> you know, David, my incredible producer, put together this great setup for us at a hotel in Milwaukee. And it was the first live video interview we'd ever done. Wow. Uh, you know, so he's setting up cameras and lighting and everything. And it was. Uh, it was a little scary for us because we've oh, never yeah. done that. You know, we have to have Joe Bob escorted to the hotel where we're at and, you know, brought him in. And uh, he was so just awesome. I mean, everything you think you know about Joe Bob is true. I mean, he's just, he's laid back. He's cool. He's funny. And we had this incredible moment with him. Uh, we wanted to do something a little bit different with the interview. You know, something that would... It surprised him, you know, that would yes. make him laugh, something. So we got a rival host of his. <laughs> I heard this. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, we, we reached out to Gilbert Gottfried and we said, hey, Gilbert, uh, we got this thing coming up with Joe Bob Briggs. Is there anything you'd like us to ask him? 
And we, we gave him no parameters other than that. And he sent us back the most incredible <laughs> video for us to play for Joe Bob, uh, where he just, you know, in typical Gilbert fashion, just, you know, rips Joe Bob open, calling him an inhuman beast for having a show that was against his, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Taking food from his children's mouths. Sure, they weren't born yet. But <laughs> We, we had done no prep work with Joe Bob. He had no idea that was coming. And I just remember making eye contact with him during that, that segment where Gilbert, Gilbert is just uh, railing on him. And he had tears in his eyes. He was laughing so hard. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And his response to it is great. He's like, that's one thing. He is so quick. You know yes. what I mean? So quick. It, uh, oh, man. I know. And, you know, I'll tell you, Joe Bob is just the coolest guy. Since then, he and I have stayed in contact uh, we got together a while ago when he was in Chicago for a film festival, and uh, you know he's just—he's almost become, in a weird way, a little bit of a writing mentor for me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't read his books yet, but but I, I hear good things about them. Um, he I'm... is a solid writer. What I love are his essays. He's done—he was actually nominated for a Pulitzer Prize for his coverage wow. of 9/11. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. I had I mean, no this, idea. Huh. This guy can write. So. Okay. What, what, what would be a good, uh, if I'm going to tell my audience, hey, go out there and pick up one of his books, let's say, or, or pick up a, an essay or a series of essays. What, what do you think would be a good, since you know, we're in the vein of horror, maybe not 9-11, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what, what would be a good place for my, my fans to, well, you to know, get a taste? I think the best way to get to know Joe Bob is through his old movie reviews. Uh, and I know he has a book, I believe it's called Joe Bob Goes to the Drive-In. Yes. And it's a collection of all of his old, you know, horror movie reviews that were published. All the, the drive-in stuff. Uh, he does some great analysis of exploitation movies. And if you're not in the mood to read, he also did an incredible um, commentary for the movie I Spit on Your Grave. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And he just, he, he has such great insight into that movie i would truly i mean regardless of how you feel about the movie i think joe bob's take on it is spot on interesting well yeah i'll have to check that out i'll put up a link in the uh, show notes for the for the listeners so, so they can go uh you know kind of take a look at that so i guess uh, i i think personally that we're kind of getting back to this want for the horror host, especially with this whole lockdown coming on. Mm -hmm. uh, for our, our uh, uh, fan base, we, we every weekend will actually generally run a double feature that we live stream uh, over the internet. And we have a chat room in there or interactive voice chat where people can, can join in and kind of share and watching the, the horror movies and that experience. Do you, do you think we're going to see, because I don't think this is going anywhere anytime <laughs> soon, uh, do you think we're going to see more of this coming up? Oh, absolutely. Well, already, I mean, I, I, I know I am just like slathering the love on Joe Bob Briggs, but mm -hmm. uh, the last drive-in series, I feel, kind of opened that live stream event up quite a bit because yeah. it has all of these you know, thousands of people who live tweet, you know, there's a Slack chat that goes along with the movies and it's this incredible community where everybody just like, like you said, you know, we watch the movie together 
And yeah. the same thing has evolved now with the Spangoolie show, which is now national. Uh, yeah. You know, Saturday nights, you know, hashtag Spangoolie is always trending and people want to have that sense of community. So, yeah, I truly think that this, you know, communal viewing experience is going to continue to grow and expand. And I think it's so healthy and so cool that we're able to connect with other people this way. Yeah, it's wonderful. And the horror community is such a great, diverse and, and, and welcoming yes. community. Yes. I mean, just that that's it's funny. The first couple of interviews that I finished for my podcast right afterward, people are like, wow, you know, thank you. I had, I had such a good time doing this. You know, it's wonderful you're getting involved in the horror community because it's such a great place with, with just so many people who are willing to. I mean, I've got people submitting like artwork and 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 uh, yeah, you've got so just much like, creativity and talent yeah. in there. It's fantastic. It's. I think it's because it gets a little bit maligned as far as uh, entertainment goes. It's kind of people thumb their noses at it a little bit, but I think I think it's getting a little bit more uh, appreciation nowadays. Well, and I, I think it should, especially horror movies in general. I mean, you know, horror movies tend to be dismissed, you know, when it comes to mm -hmm. mainstream ma media. So yeah, you know, to to have our own place where we can watch them is huge. Or if they're exceptional, then they're just referred to as genre films. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, they're dramas. Uh, oh, right. Well, I, we're coming up. I actually described the movie Hostel a, a long time ago. I was dating somebody, and he hated horror movies, and mm. I wanted to go see Hostel. And he said, "Well, what is it? What kind of movie is it?" And I said, "Oh, it's a a drama about international travel." And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's some good PR spin to put on it. I don't. I forgot who it was that said this. It's so funny you call it drama because the the old quote that I always remember, and I, I have to look up who it is, was that horror is just drama taken to its most extreme. And that is and, uh, so true. Absolutely. You know, throw in a little bit of blood, and it's just it's perfect. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So. We're coming up on the half hour mark here, and I really appreciate you give, spending your time with me today. So uh, the thing I always like to ask all of my guests is at the end of it, uh, if you want, you know, if you would recommend to people some, some good example of easily digestible horror host content, maybe a, a movie that, that is featured, uh, it could be anything, mystery science, theater, any, any of that, don't necessarily restrict it to horror. But what, what do you think would be something that's available right now where somebody could just dive in and, and uh, enjoy something that, that maybe they've overlooked? Well, I would say go to YouTube and start Googling horror movie hosts. I mean, you could go back to the beginnings with Vampyra. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. You know, watch Elvira because at the very least, she has huge boobs and is totally hot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not to mention know? it has a great personality and is very entertaining. <laughs> she's but yeah, super funny, yes. And of she course. also has a great movie. Hilarious. I'll put that out there also. And then... You know, look up Joe Bob. His commentary is hysterical. He's just so witty, and he's got so much insight into movies. Mm -hmm. And you can watch tons of the clips on YouTube. And then if you're feeling fancy, subscribe to Shudder and watch The Last Drive-In because yeah. it's huge. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, we, I've recommended Shudder before. It's a great service. Oh, it is. I mean, they do really great original movies on there. I've been uh, pleasantly surprised by all of them. Yeah, I was checking out the series Channel Zero for a little while. That first season of it was pretty good. 
and uh, oh, I, I always forget. Uh, oh, better watch out the mm-hmm. the horror movie, the the Christmas uh, kind of yeah. reverse Home Alone. That, that yeah, that was wonderful too. They did a really good uh, retake on Creep Show, also. Oh, you know what? I've seen that. I have not tuned into it yet. So, oh. Another one, speaking of having a weird horror host. Right, <laughs> exactly. Well, based off a comic book. So. Yep, yep. Based off of a knockoff of the Tales from the Crypt EC comics. Yeah. So, but fun, though, and well-made. Absolutely. So. All right, Juliet. Well, thank you for joining us here today. And if people want to come and check out your work, where where should we send them? Where should ah, they go? Well, first, thank you so much for having me on. I don't often get to talk about horror movies, which I love. So this has been a blast for me. Mm-hmm. And if people want to check me out, uh, I host the Unwritable Rant podcast. It is bourbon-soaked storytelling along with celebrity interviews. So uh, it's on iTunes and Spotify. It's pretty much everywhere all fine podcasts live or go to theunwritablerant.com. Excellent. And I would also recommend to our listeners, if you haven't yet, go to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash bloody bits and subscribe. We've got the uh, Blood Bank, which is an archive of questionable who owns the rights to these movies that you can go on and take a look at uh, as well as we've got our live radio show that's broadcast 24 hours a day with uh, you know a lot of old art bell coast to coast am for the conspiracy theorists uh, if they want to role play that a little bit and some special features of the old time radio horror dramas so juliet thank you very much again for joining us Thank you for having me. Cheers. Uh huh. Stay safe, and this is how I end it. But wait, there's more. That's right. This isn't how I end it. This week we have a special double feature, a little bonus for all you horror heads. We've got an episode of Tales from the Crypt radio drama. Yeah, they made a radio drama, and if you want to hear more of them, just go to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash bloody bits where you can get access to our 24-7 live stream of audio, horror, suspense, and supernatural stuff. That's patreon.com forward slash bloody bits. But up next, Tales from the Crypt. Tight grip. Fiends to creepy scenes of eeriness, gore, unearthly moans from rattling bones behind each creaking door. It's more than boo that'll frighten you. I long to hear your cries. You won't survive the tale that I've so ghoulishly devised. <laughs> These undaunted tales from the creeps. <laughs> Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is the creep of all creeps. Your old pal, the Crypt Keeper, here. I promise you, kiddies, your visit to my dreadfully dire digs is sure to bring out the beast in you. (laughs) Oh, by the way, 
We're having a most festive party tonight to celebrate this especially scarifying evening. It's going to be a dinner party. Hope you like roadkill. <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, I'll be serving a seven-corpse meal. Yes. <laughs> For dessert, I'll be offering lady fingers. That is, of course, if my lady will part with them. <laughs> so tell me, dear fright fiends. Are you in the mood for a morbid, macabre, twisted tale about a sweet little girl and her very concerned mummy and daddy? <laughs> well, here's a heaping helping of alimentary anguish for you. Hold on, kiddies, for a terrifying, tawdry tale called Tight Grip. Let me tell you something that may disturb you. You think the world around you is silent and dumb, and for the most part you are correct. But the world is watching, listening, waiting. Once I knew a traveling magician. You may have heard of him. His name was Ernest Hollyblack, and he achieved a kind of minor fame a few decades ago. Presenting the amazing Hollyblack and his spectacular horror escape. He wasn't a very good magician, actually, and you wouldn't have heard of him for his great skill. No, Ernest Hollyblack was a disappointed man. And in a thousand bare bulb hotel rooms, in a thousand seedy towns, as darkness lay heavy across America, Hollyblack took out that frustration. I heard what happened in those rooms, how he spent his rage at the world upon his daughter, how he locked her inside his magic trunk as punishment for insignificant transgressions. Just like your mother. You're just like your mother. How he hit her in places where it wouldn't show. And what do you know? One day during Holly Black's spectacular water escape, the latches on the false bottom of Holly Black's amazing trunk. Jammed. Hey, what the hell? Hey, help! Get me out of here! Help! Help! I can't breathe. The water! The water! Help me! Help me! Ernest Hollyblack ascended to the glory he was destined for. He drowned on a shabby stage in Poughkeepsie, New York. I thought I had saved his daughter. I thought I had saved little Catherine. I thought I had given her the second chance most people never get. I was an idiot. But here I sit in the drink once again. Not in a glass tank this time, but 300 feet underwater. I think I'm somewhere between West Seattle and Vashon Island, but I suppose that's not important. I've been here a long, long time, with the cold, dark 
waters of Puget Sound pressing down upon me. Catherine Holly Black grew up. She married and had a daughter of her own, a daughter she named Kitty. Kitty was a prodigy. She played the violin like an angel. I have always known that magic, most magic, is fake magic. But Kitty made me believe that music is real. And I still believe it. Something has to be true if this tawdry world is to make any sense at all, doesn't it? Doesn't it? So I believed in Kitty. for coming over, Doc. Absolutely. Doctor, you have to do something. She sits there in that trunk for hours on end with the lid closed. God, it would drive me insane to be trapped in there like that. Uh, perhaps she doesn't feel trapped. Perhaps she... Uh, noise, Kitty. Please stop playing like that. She loves that violin. I'll get her to stop. No, no, that's okay. Perhaps we should let her finish what she's doing. Kitty! That's better. Now, come out of there and say hello to Dr. Malloy. No need. N no need. You stay right there where you are, Kitty. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Samuel Malloy. You can call me Sam. Or you don't have to call me anything at all if you don't want to. That's a lovely violin, Kitty. It's a Stradivarius. Kitty is a concert violinist. One of the best in the country for her age. A prodigy. Like young Mozart, eh, Kitty? What you were playing just now, it sounded like... Well, I'm not sure I've heard anything quite like it before. <laughs> oh, that. Well, that that was nothing. She's just horsing around, Doctor. Isn't that right, Kitty? When she plays Bach, it, it brings tears to my eyes. Play for Dr. Malloy. No, no, that's really okay. You don't have to, Kitty. She likes the resonance of playing in that trunk, Dr. Malloy. She's told me so herself. Oh, she really does speak, Doctor. It's only been since she got home from the last tour that she stopped. How long ago was that? Six weeks. I see. Well, we have just heard her speaking through her violin. This is not a case of a young woman who has cut herself off from all communication with the world. Dr. Malloy is a psychiatrist, Kitty. He's here to help. Actually, I am here to listen. Well, now, Kitty... It isn't entirely true that you're alone in the trunk. Who is this? Oh, that's... that's Mr. Gruffles. I know a 12-year-old shouldn't be hanging on to her teddy bear, Dr. Malloy, but Richard and I... we haven't the heart to take it away from her. Actually, I bought her quite a few dolls and other toys over the years, but she refuses to play with anything but that beat-up old bear. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Gruffles. My name is Sam. That's enough, Kitty. Not now. <laughs> come on, Kitty, let's stop. No, I'd like to hear what she has to say. Kitty, come out of that trunk and stop making the doctor uh, Richard, nail careful. down to the violin. To you. Mr. Ashton, that's really not necessary. I am quite comfortable there, down now. Sit in your chair like a grown-up, Kitty. Kitty, I am not here to make you speak once again. I know that you will talk when you are ready, perhaps when you know what it is you want to say. That is something only you can decide, and nobody can make you do it if you don't want to. 
In fact, all I really wanted to accomplish today was to meet you and Mr. Gruffles. Well, it is time for me to go. It was very nice to meet you, Kitty. I hope to see you again sometime. Oh, Kitty, really? Can't you at least say goodbye to the doctor? We have already made our farewells. But I did want to tell Mr. Gruffles that I was pleased to make his acquaintance as well. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Gruffles. Well, I suppose I'll be going now. When I return to my... Uh, aha! I'm Mr. Gruffles. How are you today? What? What's this? After today, Mr. Gruffles, I swear that I'm only going to talk to you for the rest of my life. I might as well keep quiet, because you're the only one who listens to anything I say anyway. And you'll always be the one who knows everything about me. I don't care what they say. I know that you're as real as they are. And I'm going to keep you forever. That's great to hear. And remember, Mr. Ruffles loves you very, very much. Fascinating. Yes, it's, it's one of those talking bears with some sort of chip inside it that records what you say when you press a switch in the paw. Catherine bought it for her years ago. <laughs> I thought it was a piece of chunk, but the thing seems to last and last and last. <laughs> Absolutely fascinating. Kitty, thank you. Thank you for playing that for me. I hope we get a chance to meet again real soon. Well, I must be getting back to the office. I will most definitely be in touch. Very well, Doctor. Believe me, we'll spare no expense to get our Kitty back in top form again. Yes, well, Let's uh, see the Doctor out, Richard. Of course. I'll get your coat from the hall closet, Doctor. Yes, thank you. still up? Kitty? Ah, there you are. Are you talking to Mr. Gruffles? Kitty, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I shouted at you before. It's just, it's, it's, you don't have to play the violin all the time, you know? It's just because your mother wants you to, it doesn't mean you have to. I have an idea to cheer you up, okay? I'll make you an ice cream sundae and we'll watch a video in the den. Come on, you like it when I make sundaes for you with lots of marshmallow fluff on top? Kitty? There, did I? Was that a smile? That was a smile. I think I saw a smile. Oh, Kitty. I love you so much. Why won't you talk? Why won't you talk to me, Kitty? I spoke to Mom. I, I told her that you don't have to go back on the road again, not if you don't want to. You can choose. Enough talk, all right? <laughs> Come on, let's go get that Sunday. 
was wonderful, Kitty. I was better than you've ever done it. I, I felt the joy in the music this time. I'm very, very proud of you. She was amazing. Oh. Congratulations, young lady. I think you've got this competition all signed up. <laughs> if you keep this up, you're going to trounce that baker boy. He's all technique. <laughs> Putting true feeling into the music is what music is all about, and you've got that kitty. Oh, I can't wait to see his mother's face when you win the grand prize. <laughs> what? What? What is it? Honey, what is it you want to say to me? Oh, Kitty. Kitty, you've broken a perfectly good E string. Yes, all, all right, all right. I, I get it. Something's still not right. But that Bach sonata. The doctor was right. You do speak through your music. You're happy now that we're on the road. <laughs> A mother can tell. Even if you don't know it yourself, you're happy. Hey, is this your traveling trunk, lady? It's my daughter's now. Uh, well, where do you want me to put it? Well, where do you suppose? Follow me. Yeah. All right. Ah, oh, gee, slow down, would you? This thing's going to break my back. She feels like it's bigger on the inside than the outside. see and not to see to be always present and never there mine has been a curious life I understood Kitty and her decision not to speak alright I admit it I was her shelter I thought I knew what she was going through far better than anyone else certainly better than her mother I am an old old fool because, of course, I wasn't always present. Of course not. Once again, there were the hotel rooms. The endless hotel rooms. But this time, the door was shut to me. But I was left in the cold confines of Catherine's station wagon in the rainy parking lot. I wanted to keep Kitty safe at all times, but I couldn't. I couldn't. And Catherine was the reason. Catherine, the little girl I thought I had saved. She was beginning to remind me of her father, to remind me of him a great deal. But get your nightdress out of there. No, not that one. It's filthy. A pink one. A pink one. I've got your violin and Mr. Ruffles. Come on, then. There are a thousand rainy parking lots under the glare of a thousand steaming yellow mercury vapor lights. But Catherine and Kitty, they shared the darkness of the hotel rooms, a darkness into which I was not taken. But I knew the concert halls, the dusty backstage spaces. Kitty played her heart out on the stage. Catherine paced behind the curtain. Magic is fake, and music is real. Isn't it? 
For a while, I believed. It was easy to believe when I heard Kitty play the violin. We crossed America, and Kitty played. She remained silent, but she fought. She argued with her violin. She stamped her feet. She played. God, how she played her heart out on the stage. We reached Bridgeport, Connecticut, then headed back towards Seattle, towards home. But somewhere along the way, the life began to go out of Kitty. And that was when I knew it was happening all over again. That the squalid curse of the Holly Blacks had been passed down to Catherine, despite my best efforts. From Topeka, Kansas, where the wind beats the wheat like a stroke from the hand of God. You're losing points, Kitty. Talk to me. The feeling isn't there. You're not feeling the music. To Aspen, Colorado, and the mountains packed full of Gore-Tex, goggles, and sharp-tipped poles. You look miserable out there, Kitty. The judges want to know that you enjoy the music, that you understand it. I want you to feel it. God damn it, you used to feel it. To Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and the played-out crags of the Grand Tetons, where only fool's gold still shines. To the badlands of South Dakota. Are you listening to me? Talk to me, Kitty. Talk to me, damn it. To Fargo, North Dakota. To Boise, Idaho, and the Bitterroot Valley. You're driving me crazy, Kitty. You have to talk to me. Do you understand? You're driving me crazy. Thank you, Mr. Baker. That was tremendous. And now the current runner-up in the tour competition, Miss Kitty Ashton, will perform the last movement of Bach's Sonata Number、no. Three for us. Now get out there, Kitty, and feel it. You have the technique. Now feel the music. Not any harder than I pushed myself. I 
don't understand it. I just don't understand. I'll tell you what, Catherine. I've had about enough of you badgering my child. She is my child. I've stood by when you've taken her from our home, and you said you married me to get away from that life. To get away from the ugliness. Not from the road. Not from giving a beautiful performance. That was what I loved about growing up. It's all I have to give her. Your father was a low-rent con man. Oh, and you know what? You're a lawyer, Richard. Sometimes I think I ran right back to daddy. I guess your rent's a little higher, but it amounts to the same. How dare you! Richard. Richard, you did show me something higher. You, you have wonderful taste. It means everything. In music, in life, I love you for that. And we have pity. Don't you see? I, I want something extraordinary for Kitty. As she listened to her parents argue downstairs, Kitty paced the floor of her room in agitation. But after a while, she stopped. And opened me up. She climbed inside as she had so many times before. Still no words, only the violin and Kitty's gentle tears. I held her safe. At least she was home, and I could be with her in her room. Richard at least understood Kitty's cry for help. All was not lost, or so I thought. So I thought. And I held her and whispered to her, just as I had whispered to her mother years before, when her father had locked Catherine inside me. At least you are safe now, little one. I told Kitty's mother, away from him for a time. And once again, I tried to comfort a hurting little girl by speaking words of encouragement, words across the void that separates my world from the cold, uncaring world. Of blind action and backlash. All will be well, little one. Someone you don't even know loves you and watches over you. You'll never be alone. <laughs> I told her that all would be well. I'm going out for a while. When I come back. Taking a far stronger hand in Kitty's upbringing. A far stronger hand. Do you hear me? I swear I didn't. A far stronger hand. I swear I didn't mean to hurt Kitty. It has been a decade since Kitty lost the competition and returned home. Ten years I've spent here at the bottom of Puget Sound. I believed I would find a final end here, disintegrate to a skeleton of iron straps and corroded hasps. But I have not rotted yet, and now someone has found me. <laughs> What a surprise that someone has in store! For I am bigger on the inside than the outside. No, not in a physical way, but in the way that a whisper is more than mere air. In the way that the discovery of a secret can hold within it 
a larger secret still. Sandy Vashon Island ground behind her house, while across Puget Sound the lights of Seattle glimmered in a distant twinkling sonata, and the night grew chilly, and the ferry boats mourned, and Kitty's grave got deeper and deeper, and Kitty's little body. Lay within my confines, growing colder and colder, <laughs> with a d-string wrapped around her neck. Ah, oh, I hated Catherine Ashton. I hate her still. <laughs> She killed her. Three days, I waited under the ground, waited to be discovered, dug up by the authorities, waited alone with my dear little Kitty, down there in the dark. But nothing happened. No one found me, and that is when I made my decision. You see, I did once belong to a magician. And something of his art, something that even that poor failure, the amazing Holly Black, was not aware of, wore off on me, wore into me, the ability to bridge the gap between the world of being and the world of desire, the world of hard fact and that of the imagination. I imagined that Kitty. Played on. For there she was within me, after all, bundled as Catherine had placed her with her violin. So why not imagine that Kitty awakened? Kitty, Kitty, my child, 
You have your violin. You can play now, and I'll listen. I'll listen to you, Kitty. No matter what you want to play, I'm here, Kitty. I'm here. She began to play. Kitty began to play, and I resonated with her playing. My wooden sides sung in sympathetic vibration with her song, and with Kitty's song, I reached across the divide—the divide between desire and being—and I imagined my way into the nightmares of Catherine Holly Black Ashton. Richard, Richard, I heard her again. I heard her again. Don't you hear it? I don't hear anything. Please, Richard, Richard, listen. You could be. You have to be quiet, Catherine. Quiet. She's gone. Richard, the police will find you. I have to believe they will. But until then, you just have to be quiet and leave me in peace. Richard, you have to listen. Haven't you done enough already? Will you just shut up? Shut up. Why can't you be more like Kitty? And a month later, it was with grim satisfaction that I heard the shovel once again digging me up. Then I once again heard the autumn wind, the night cries of the ferry boat horns. Oh, Catherine struggled to pull me down the path to the beach. I didn't make it easier for her. All the weight of her heart was within me, and she was pulling it along, pulling it along, pulling it along. Lifting me up, sliding. Pushing me into the skiff, and paddling away, paddling away, thinking she could somehow escape the music. Somehow bury Kitty's music in the cold depths of the sound, in the deep underwater scars carved by merciless glaciers a hundred thousand winters before. Farther out, farther out. That song. I'm, I'm so sorry. Oh God! I have to see you. I have to see you one last time, my love, my darling. Oh, kitty, my kitty. You're so cold. I wanted to give you. Mr. Gruffles, to keep you warm, 
I brought him for you. Here, kitty. Here he is. Here he is. Let me set him in beside you. And then I won't disturb you anymore, my darling. distant mirror of the water's surface, hundreds of feet above me. It seems I am to be once again hoisted into the world. But I've done my duty, and whether at the bottom of the sea or in the cold light of the sun, I know that Kitty has been revenged. Not that any of what I did matters. Not that anything has ever mattered since Kitty went away. that child so Chains off. Get them off. Yes, sir. All right, Sid. Let's get your forensic shots, just in case the good doctor here turns out to be right. Got it. So, Judge Ashton, is this your daughter's traveling trunk? I couldn't say. It's so degraded. I mean, perhaps. This is the trunk, Detective. I recognized it at once. Oh, did you? Did you, Malloy? Well, so what if it is? I have nothing to hide. I want to find out what happened to my wife and child just as much as you do. This will be the last piece of evidence I need. I have spent ten years determined to find the truth. Wasted ten years, don't you mean? You. Vulture. Why can't you leave us be? I've lost everything. Isn't that enough? Not until there is a reckoning for Kitty's death. 
You do believe in justice, don't you, Judge Ashton? All right, that's enough. Looks like most of the water's drained out from all the holes. Open it up. Yes, sir. Yes. Amazing. Sid, bring the camera. What? What's inside? And that's documented. All right, then let's have a look. Dr. Malloy, Judge Ashton, will you step over here? What do you see? I, I can't. Bones? Skeletal bones. That hand, it's... It's Catherine's. Wedding ring. Her opal ring. We had it made special. I, I can't. I, I can't. Dr. Malloy, you're a medical doctor as well as a psychiatrist, aren't you? What do you make of it? Yes. There's two of them. One an adult, the other a child. But that's not what I'm looking for, Detective. What are you looking for, Doctor? Well, perhaps... Yes. Yes. Here it is. This. What in the world? Do you recognize this, Judge Ashton? What? No. I don't recognize it at all. A skeleton of another sort. Remember, Judge? You bought her other toys, but this is the only one she played with. As you said yourself, it just seemed to last and last. Is that what's left of Mr. Graffles? Rot it away! Perhaps we'll find if the little thing's heart is still intact. What are you doing, Dr. Malloy? If I remember rightly, this is the correct button. Just let me... Ha, ha, ha! I'm Mr. Graffles. How are you today? Good Lord. Some kind of recording chip? You're the only one I can talk to, Mr. Graffles. The only one. I can't tell Mommy what happened. And she thinks it's because of her. But it's not. The closer we got to home, the closer we got to him. And I got scareder and scareder. And I couldn't play and I couldn't talk. I hate to go home. I just hate it. I can't stand what he does to me. How he touches me. I want to stay forever with Mommy on the road. On the road, all there is is the music. I want to always play the music and hear them clap and know that Mommy's waiting and maybe we'll eat at McDonald's on the way to the next stop. That's what I'm going to do. Go play the music somewhere else and wait for Mommy. Then I'll be able to play it just like she wants me to. She's right. I have the feeling inside me. And if I go away and practice and practice, I can make it come out in the music. I'll play it for her when she gets there. But not for him. Never for Daddy. Goodbye, Mr. Gruffles. I guess I am a little too old to carry you with me everywhere I go. That's great to hear. And remember, Mr. Ruffles loves you very, very much. Good Lord. I, I, I protest. I, I... Stay where you are, I, Judge Ashton. I... Boys, get this guy cuffed in Miranda. No! I... Let me go! I... I want to speak to my lawyer! Well... Dr. Malloy, that is about the most surprising... Detective, the trunk! It's sliding off the platform there! You there, secure that chain! Come on, Don! I, I can't grab it! I can't grab the blasted thing! It's too wet! Stop! 
it's sinking, carrying the bodies all these years I've been searching. It's all right, Doctor. We have your other evidence on file and that recording. Oh, well. Kitty did love that old trunk. hidden in the depths of the ocean, better left undisturbed. No, hell, strike that. Of course, such talk is pretty much rubbish. We find what we find, and what is lost is not lost due to any heavenly agency or the workings of fate. It's all random. The push of molecule against atom until a man looks this way instead of that. A woman pushes the red rather than the green button. And then the world changes. You think the sky hangs with portents and the seas flow with mystery? Take a lesson from one who has been around a while. A very long while. The workings of our world are aimless, erratic, and haphazard. And that is the true horror in this life. Worse than all the demons and monsters conjured by the imagination to explain the desultory spread of all that is frightfully realistic. But I'm old and very battered. You shouldn't put too much stock in anything I have told you. On the other hand, what choice do you have when I am the only one who might hold the answer to the questions? To what answers there are in this rouged-up world, where behind the brightest sky is the blue-black void of a bruise? Kitty. Well, 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 kitties. How's that for a tug on the old heartstrings? Makes you just want to cry your eyes out over poor Kitty. If you do, pick those baby blues up quickly and pop them right back in your head. Because I'm afraid my pet rat, Wally, is quite the connoisseur. He thinks eyeballs are a delicacy and taste just like caviar. Personally, I think they taste a lot more like chicken. <laughs> well, creeps, you can count on me to return soon with another delicious dollop of dread to satisfy your appetite for the terminally morbid. <laughs> Until then, I'll leave you with this bit of Crypt Keeper wisdom. Surround yourself with lots and lots of friends, kiddies. For as we say around the crypt, the morgue, the merrier. <laughs> 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 <laughs>